just want to let you know there are some uh, signs available if you want to invite your neighborhood uh, to come out for our Christmas Eve services at 5 and 7 p.m. on December the 24th. Uh, Also, there are invitation cards available out there in the foyer. So please, on your way out, just pick up a handful uh, that you can pass out to uh, neighbors and coworkers, family and friends to invite them to come and to celebrate uh, Christmas with us and to hear uh, the hope of the gospel. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. So if you turn there, Exodus chapter 12. And uh, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help this morning. Oh Lord, in this time, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, that you would open your word for your people. That you would speak not only to the ears of your people, but to our hearts. Lord, that we might be transformed. That we might be conformed to the image of Christ. That we might hear and believe afresh the hope of the gospel. Oh Lord, I can study and I can prepare And I can give an effort up here, but Lord, if you do not work in this time, if you uh, do not speak to your people, then nothing of eternal value will happen. Lord, I thank you for your promises. And I hold on uh, to your provision, Lord, that you will speak to your people, that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you send it, the only hope of a sinful and inadequate preacher and a sinful and inadequate people. So Lord, come and speak that we might believe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is the story of the power of death undone. You know, but it's, it's not a story that starts with with Mary and and Joseph and shepherds and angels and mangers and stars. It's a story that starts with God and God's good creation. See, death was not present in or part of God's original creation. He did not make things to die, but the people that God created in his own image the ones that he made as the crowning glory over all his creation, the ones that he gave dominion to rule over his creation, his people invited death into creation by rebelling against their loving creator, by rejecting his love and his rule and his reign over them, by cutting themselves off relationally from the only true source of life. And when they sinned, it brought devastation and death to every part of God's creation. We should never speak of death as if it were natural. As if it were, as we often hear, just a part of life. No. Death was and is an intruder. It was and is an enemy. Death is the wages of what? Sin. The wages of sin is death, but the story of Christmas is the true tall tale of God's tenacious, loving commitment to his people and to his creation and the extraordinary lengths to which he went to reclaim them. The story of Christmas is the true tall tale 
of how God himself undid the very power of death through the birth of a child. And even as we saw last week, as as death reigns over creation from Adam to Noah, and from Noah to Abraham, and, and through Abraham to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to Joseph, God's promise remains. A child born of a woman will crush the head of the serpent, defeating Satan and sin and death forever. God's promise remains and God's provision reminds that he will keep his promises. Isaac, on the way up the mountain, asks his father, Father, I see the fire and I see the wood for the sacrifice. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb. And though God would have been just to demand of Abraham the death of his son because the wages of sin is death, he provided instead a lamb, a ram, to die in his place. And God made lots of promises to Abraham. I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation and those who curse you, I will curse and those who bless you, I will bless and you will be the father of many nations and I will give to your descendants a land that I have promised you. Tons of promises that God made to Abraham, but one of them must have been pretty hard for Abraham to accept. In Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, the Lord tells Abraham, know for certain, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And of course, all of that happened. Isaac fathered Jacob who fathered Joseph. And Joseph, if you grew up in church, you know that he was beloved by his father, Jacob, but he was despised by his 11 brothers. And so they devised the plot to kill him. But one of the brothers, Reuben, intervened and said, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. So they fake his death, tell his father, Jacob, that he is dead and sell him into slavery in Egypt. And through a series of of really crazy life events, including being falsely accused of sexual assault, being imprisoned for years, being uh, forgotten by all the people that he had helped, eventually through trust in the Lord and through faithful uh, living and through high moral character, Joseph becomes the most trusted advisor to the Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt. And he functionally becomes second in command. He becomes the prime minister of the entire nation of Egypt. And this allows him when famine strikes the land and his father and his 11 brothers and uh, all uh, the land, all the people uh, that have come from them, this, this fledgling nation of Israel, when they are struck by famine and they don't have any food to eat, where do they go? They go to Egypt. And there Joseph, who had been horribly wronged by his brothers, says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good and for the saving of many lives. And he rescues his brothers who had sinned against him. 
Well, after a, a long life of 110 years, Joseph dies. And his entire generation with him. And a new king arises in Egypt, a new pharaoh, and he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember the good relationship between God's people and the people of Egypt. And he begins to fear the numbers of these foreigners. See, the, the nation of Israel over the years has begun to grow as God's people have been fruitful and multiplied. And he begins to fear the numbers of these foreigners, these famine refugees that are growing in his country. And so he decides to come up with a solution. And that solution is slavery. And it says in the word, it says that he made their lives bitter with hard service. But even then, the people just reproduced all the more. And, and the nation of Israel continued to grow. And so it wasn't enough for Pharaoh just to make the people's lives bitter with slavery and with hard service. He says, okay, well, I guess here's what we're going to do. And he calls the Hebrew midwives to him. And he says, listen, you two ladies, you midwives, what I want you to do is that whenever a Hebrew woman is giving birth to a son, you murder that son just as he's being born. You kill all the boys that are born in Egypt. And the text says that the midwives feared the Lord. And so uh, they go back to the people and babies are still being born. And Pharaoh says, what's going on? So the midwives go back to Pharaoh and they say, sorry, uh, the Hebrew women are too vigorous and they have the babies before we can even get there. Can't kill them. When in truth, they were simply refusing to do what Pharaoh had said. They were obeying God rather than man. I love the fact that we know the names of these brave women, Shifra and Pua. You know, we never even hear Pharaoh's name. The scripture says God, dwelt, God dealt well with the midwives. So Pharaoh comes up with another plan. All right, if the midwives aren't gonna do my dirty work, then I'm gonna have my soldiers do it. And every time a baby is born to these Israelites in my country, I'm gonna send my soldiers into their home. And if it's a baby boy, they're getting thrown into the Nile to drown. And so they begin to do this. They begin to throw all the little babies into the Nile River to drown. And one of those baby sons is named Moses. And Moses' mother doesn't want him to die. And so when he's born, she hides him in a basket on the Nile River in the reeds. And Pharaoh's wife, I'm sorry, Pharaoh's daughter discovers him in the reeds of, of, the, of the Nile River when she's bathing. And she decides to adopt this Hebrew child to take him and raise him as her own. And so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's family in the palace. But one day as he is walking around his kingdom, he sees an Egyptian taskmaster who is just beating the life out of a Hebrew slave. And Moses knows that he has something in common with these Hebrews. He's heard the story of how he was adopted by his mother. And so he attacks the Egyptian and kills him and hides the body. But apparently uh, word got out. Because the next day, Moses sees two Israelites fighting with each other and he tries to break them up. And one of the Israelites says to Moses, what, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And Moses gets afraid. And for good reason, because Pharaoh hears about this and comes after him. And so uh, Moses flees into the desert and he hides there for years. And he falls in love and he gets married and he becomes a shepherd. In Exodus chapter 2 
verses 23 through 25 say this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So God calls Moses to be his spokesman, to be his representative before the Pharaoh. You may remember the story of the burning bush. And Moses is full of excuses, but ultimately the Lord takes all of them away and sends Moses to Pharaoh to demand that Pharaoh free God's people from slavery and let them go. You know, the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. But slavery, being owned by other human beings, Being robbed of one's dignity and one's agency is its own kind of living death. The Egyptian masters made the very lives of the Israelite slaves so bitter that it felt like death. Harriet Ann Jacobs, you may have heard her name before. She was actually born into slavery in 1813 here in our state in North Carolina. And she escaped slavery in 1835 and she became an abolitionist and and a writer And she famously said, death is better than slavery. And that's how it must have felt to the Israelites under oppression in Egypt. But God would deliver his people from this living death, just as he had promised Abraham hundreds of years before. So Moses finally obeys God and he goes to Pharaoh and says, the Lord The God of Israel says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Why should I obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And he chooses instead to make life even harder for the people of Israel. And Moses goes to God and he complains He says, God, you've only made the lives of my people harder. And you, his very words, you have not delivered them at all. Listen to God's response. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. I also established my covenant with them. And I have heard the groaning of my people. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Moses told the people. That this is what God said. But Exodus 6, 9 says, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I just want to pause right there and say that I know that for many of you, Advent is a difficult time of the year. I further know that, that there are many of you who right now are in the midst of grief and loss and struggle 
and hardship. There are many of you whose spirits are afflicted, if not broken. There are many of you who are under the yoke of very difficult things, including your own sin. And what I would say to you is that just as the Lord heard the groaning of his people in Egypt, that you should cry out to him and that you should know that he will hear you because he is the Lord and you are his people and he will deliver you. In fact, he already has. He has hope for you in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through. The people who walked in darkness, the people who walked in the valley of the shadow of death have seen a great light. On them a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God sends Moses back to Pharaoh to demand Israel's release, but The text tells us that Pharaoh's heart was hard and he says again, no. And so God does exactly what he promised. God begins to do great signs and wonders, great acts of judgment on Pharaoh and on the nation of Egypt. First, the Nile River is turned to blood. Their source of water, the source of much of their food turns to blood and is completely unusable. Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. What's his answer? No. So then frogs swarm Egypt and overwhelm everything. Pharaoh says no. Gnats engulf Egypt and plague man and beast. Still, Pharaoh says no. Then flies. Then the livestock throughout Egypt die. Then boils develop on the Egyptian skin, including Pharaoh. And hail falls from the sky and destroys the fields of Egypt. And then locusts come through and destroy everything that the hail didn't. And then darkness covers Egypt for three days. And every time, even though he seems for a moment to relent because of the intensity of these plagues, Pharaoh says what? No. And in Exodus chapter 11, the Lord says to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. About midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. The wages of sin is what? Death. And this plague, as horrible as it sounds to us, as horrible as it is, is not cruelty. It is justice. Physical death and spiritual death, eternal death, are both the natural and the legal consequences of our rebellion against and our rejection of God and the hardness of our hearts toward Him. And Egypt was stridently rebellious toward God, even in the face of, get this, nine successive rounds of God's gracious warning. See, the wages of sin was always death, but God did not visit death on the Egyptians until he had brought nine opportunities for them to repent and relent because our God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is merciful even to those who hate him. 
The plagues before this one were merciful, but now Egypt and Pharaoh will receive the wages of their sin. The reality is, Egypt, they're not the only sinners in this picture. Israel, though they are the oppressed and not the oppressor, are just as much sinners as Pharaoh and Egypt. They are deserving in their own rebellion against God of this plague to hit them as well. But God once again shows mercy. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God would have been perfectly just and perfectly within his rights to wipe them off the face of the earth. But instead, he provides a way of escape. He, pro- he promises redemption through one of their descendants. When the Lord commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, he would have been perfectly just to allow Abraham to drive the knife into the promised son. But instead, he provides a way of escape. He provides a lamb to die in Isaac's place. When the Lord floods the earth due to human depravity, he provides a way of escape for Noah and his family. And here in Egypt, God provides a way of escape for his people in the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn son. Look with me at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 13 and then 21 through 32. 1 through 13 and 21 through 32. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's... I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood, And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall not let any of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In 21 through 32, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, 
the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. The wages of sin is death. But God provides a way of escape for his people. Andrew Peterson's song, Pass Over Us, puts it this way. The Lord, he gave a word for the for the people. He said their firstborn sons would live to see another day. Put the blood of the lamb on the doorway and death will pass right over. And that night, all the children of Israel prayed, Lord, let your judgment pass over us. Lord, let your love hover near. Don't let your sweet mercy pass over us. Let the blood cover over us here. The wages of sin is death. Isaac's question to his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, was answered temporarily on Mount Moriah. The people of Israel were were covered by the blood of the Passover lamb temporarily in the Exodus. And then they were perpetually committing sacrifices to the Lord every day and every year on the Day of Atonement, sacrifice after sacrifice, temporarily atoning for, holding back God's judgment over them for their sins. But there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And all of this, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses and the people of Israel and the sacrifices of the temple, all of this was pointing forward to Christmas. All of this was was pointing forward to the child of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the birth that would one day bring an end to all death the Lamb of God who would take away not only the wages of sin, but even sin itself, whose blood would cover over God's people once and for all. All of this was pointing forward to the power of death undone. One of the reasons I love the hymn that that we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is because I think it so appropriately captures and expresses the longing and the waiting of God's people for provision and promise to come. As the people of Israel must have felt under the yoke of slavery in Egypt, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. 
that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give us victory over the grave. Come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Emmanuel, God with us, did come. We laid under the yoke of slavery and spiritual death of sin, under the tyranny of that old serpent who is called Satan, the accuser of the brethren. We were sojourning in a land that is not our home under the dark shadow of the wages of our own rejection of and rebellion against God. And He came to rescue us. His name is Jesus. He was born in a nation that was oppressed by tyranny, in a region that was governed by another cowardly king who was afraid for his own power. And so he also chose to kill the baby boys in his land. But the Lord provided a way of escape, this time not from Egypt, but to Egypt. As Mary and Joseph and Jesus were refugees fleeing from Herod's political oppression to Egypt and the safety that was there. They lived there until King Herod died to fulfill what was foreshadowed by the Passover and proclaimed by the prophet the word of the Lord. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the lamb of God without blemish who went to the cross so that God's justice could pass over us, so that God's great love and sweet mercy could come to us, so that His blood and His righteousness could cover us. Jesus is the ultimate provision of God. He is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. And I would ask you this morning, do you know Him? Because if you do not know Jesus this morning, then you yet lay under the yoke of the slavery and spiritual death of sin. You do not know the God who created you and the God who loves you. He has provided a way of escape for you. It is the blood of the Lamb who takes away your sins. And I would call you today to turn away from your own attempts to earn favor before God to turn back from your rebellion against God and to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. He is your Passover lamb. And if you do know him, then you know we are still in a season of waiting and longing. Jesus has come. Emmanuel did come to Israel and he has defeated sin and Satan and death once and for all, but sin and death are still with us. Satan still seeks to deceive us and to tempt us and to oppose us. And for many of us, this Advent season can be filled with sadness and loneliness and struggle as we wait for Christ's return when sin and sorrow will no longer grow, when thorns will no longer infest the ground, when His blessings will flow as far as the curse is found. 
and the power of death will be forever undone. In the meantime, here we are. Between the first advent and the last advent of the Son of God, hoping and trusting in our Emmanuel, God with us. Our Passover lamb, God for us. Our Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word and we thank you for the story of your people. Thank you that at every turn, Lord, though we turned away from you, you provided a way of escape from the consequences of our sin. Lord, we thank you that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh Lord, if there are any this morning in this room who do not know the gift that you gave so long ago, I pray that today would be the day, Lord, that they would come to know you, that they would experience the forgiveness of their sins, that they would be raised from the dead, that they would be freed from slavery. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, who who have experienced this great redemption, oh Lord, let us worship you with all that we are. And let us look forward to the day when we will see you face to face. Lord, we thank you for this promise. We thank you for this provision. We thank you for Jesus, God with us. It's in his name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word and song.